morning, everybody. Uh, let's turn to our, uh, in our Bibles to Matthew uh, chapter 8 as we continue to slowly walk through uh, the book of Matthew, which uh, I thoroughly enjoy us preaching on this and us learning about this because this is all about Jesus. This is our Savior and our Lord, and there is nothing that I like talking about more and teaching on uh, than Him. He's the center of our lives. We're called to imitate him and to model him, and so we watch how he lived. We also recognize who he was. Uh, He's our king. Uh, I want you to know if you're tired this morning, uh, let me tell you why. It's probably because you've already made this morning over 5,000 decisions. You you didn't know that. Uh, But in one day, the average person makes over 35,000 decisions. Uh, over 250 of them are just about the food that you, that you eat. Um, but that's got to be exhausting to us. Every decision uh, that we make has a result, has a consequence. Um, and, and so we're constantly thinking about, do I do this or do I do that? And thinking about, what is this going to lead to if I choose this? What's it going to lead to if I choose that? Our life is made up of millions of decisions that we make you make a decision every two seconds whether or not you're going to listen to the guy who's up front right now you're trying to figure out i should google that should i google that what are people going to think if they see me on my phone in church we make a lot of decisions every bad choice takes us to a certain outcome good choices add up to positive outcomes uh, in all of them, we understand too that our choices don't just impact us as individuals, but impact the people around us, and and even the people that maybe aren't around us, but just us as a society. Ultimately, we have to make a choice constantly. The things that we do or do not do could change the world, but specific choices begin with really showing what we care most about. I say all of this because Jesus, as man on this earth, and as a leader and a teacher, and as we've studied, as He's preaching uh, a whole new way of thinking, a whole new understanding of what God originally intended with Scripture, people were starting to think things about Him. Who is this guy? Some were thinking, who is this guy? We, We love Him, and others are, who is this guy? We hate Him. And so he had choices to make. Was he going to to live in such a way to try to get as many followers as he possibly could, which meant just doing whatever the crowd wanted him to do? Or would he make choices that didn't matter about what people thought about him, but only what the Father thought? And was he staying on mission? Constant choices that he had to make. But he showed in the decisions that he made that he cared more about the mission. And what is the mission? The mission is people. Cared less about perception and assumptions uh, and uh, possession. If you would, let's go to Matthew uh, 8. Uh, We're going to start in verse 28 today and read through verse uh, 34. Uh, If you are willing, able, would you please stand? Let's honor the reading of the word. This is what Matthew writes. And when, when he, that is Jesus, when he came to the other side, to the country of the, it's the Gerasenes, two demon-possessed men met him. 
And they came out of the tombs so fierce that no one could pass that way. And behold, they cried out, What have you to do with us, O Son of God? Have you come here to torment us before the time? Now a herd of many pigs was feeding at some distance from them. And the demons begged him, saying, If you cast us out, send us away into the herd of pigs. And Jesus said to them, Go. So they came out, went into the pigs, and behold, the whole herd rushed down the steep bank into the sea, drowned in the waters. And the herdsmen fled, and going into the city, they told everything, especially what had happened to the demon-possessed men. And behold, all the city came out to meet Jesus. And when they saw Him, they begged Him to leave their region. Father, uh, this morning um, we come before You uh, ready to let You tell us what it is that You want us to know about You, about Your Son, uh, about Your Word, and about Your power. So display Your power this morning just through, uh, uh, through my weakness, Father. May You be glorified in the words that are spoken, the words that are heard, and the lives that we live as a result of it. In Your name, Amen. You can have a seat. So let's start with perception. I know that you may, um, you may see this title and you're already angry with me. Jesus is not a careless king, right? Like the fury that we've had over the last few years. Our God is not a reckless God, right? It, what I want us to understand today is that Jesus, Jesus cares so much about us that He gave up His life for us. He stayed on mission, cared so much about mission. But in order to care about all of those things, there are some things that He had to care less about. The first one that we find in this passage is that Jesus cared less about perception in order to fulfill the mission. What we know leading up to this text is that Jesus had been impacting thousands of people. His preaching attracted people. He began to heal those that were sick, which attracted even more people to the point where his family, Mark tells us, his family couldn't even get to him. The disciples came and they said, Jesus, your mom and, and your brothers are outside, but they can't get to you because of this crowd. What do you want me to tell them? And Jesus says, uh, my family is actually anyone who follows my truth and obeys what it is that I say. What would people think? How can he be a good rabbi if he dishonors his mom that way? Right? How can he be a good teacher if he treats his own blood that way? And Jesus cared more about the mission than about what people thought. And he wanted everybody to understand. If you all would follow me, you could be part of my family. He's constantly preaching a message that people needed to hear. He didn't care what people just thought about him. He was healing people. And hundreds of people were being brought to him. And what we know from what we've already studied in the past few weeks is that they brought all of the sick, all of those that had needs, they brought them to Jesus. And what did he do? He told his disciples, he said, "Let go prepare the boat because uh, we've, got a, we've got other work to do. Other work. Look at all these people. Right? We, we read about it in Luke that Jesus went off to pray. And then Peter comes to find him and goes, you've got to come back. They brought more people that need healing. And Jesus said, that's not the mission. Man, what are people going to think? That's not the mission. 
You have the power to heal, and you're not going to heal people. You're going to get in a boat, and you're going to sail away uh, to a land of uh, really our enemies, to, to the garrisons, where the Gentiles are, the unclean. Absolutely not. And Jesus says, that's where we're going. Because I'm on mission to preach the kingdom of God, to show the world who I am, and without saying it, uh, teaching these disciples who he was and what they could do to carry on the ministry after he was gone. Jesus had a purpose and a reason, and there were times when he had to go to places that the rest of the world said, you really shouldn't go there. That's pretty dark over there. Man, what are people going to think if they see you hanging out with those people? Jesus got accused of that all the time. Really early on, Mark chapter 2, Jesus is, uh, is accused of, of, of wrongdoing because who, who is this guy? Why are you eating with the tax collectors and the sinners? And I love Jesus' response. He says, it's not the, the healthy that need a doctor, it's the sick. I didn't come to call the righteous, but I came to call the sinners. And what Jesus was saying in that was not you as the religious pious to think you're better than everybody are the righteous. He's saying at least the sick people know that they're sick. But, but you won't even admit that you are, so I'm going to go to the people that will actually receive me, not judge me, turn their nose up at me. But Jesus goes to the Gerasenes. He leaves, he leaves his own people, uh, his own, the Jewish people who were sick and in need, and he sails across the water only a few miles, but he goes to a land that a good Jew would never go to. We know that this is the land of the Gentiles because there's, there's a herd of pigs there. Pigs are unclean. Jews weren't allowed to touch pigs or pigs or eat pigs or really be even in their presence without be considered unclean. So the stage is set for us by Matthew for us to understand that Jesus is going to a place that everybody else thought he should not have gone because they definitely would not have. Nobody would go to that region. I wonder what the disciples were even thinking at that time i mean they're still trying to recover from almost dying in a storm on the water and jesus calmed that and then they sail off to the shore and they're like whoo man that was the most terrifying thing i've ever experienced in my life and then out of the tombs come these guys that are demon possessed right screaming at them uh, we're told in uh, as mark uh, tells this narrative a little bit longer that these men uh, were chain breakers that people tried to hold them down and tie them down in caves with chains and they had so many demons within them that they could break the chains when jesus addresses them tell me your name he's addressed not the men but the demons that are inside and my name is legion the demon says it means army of five thousand this is what would be perceived to be probably one of the worst cases of demon possession that anybody had ever experienced. And they're living among the tombs, again, among the dead bodies, to which Jesus is going to just go up and walk through that. Who is this guy? That he would sail here and that he would walk among the dead, the land of really what was considered to be uh, the unclean. You know, the role of a leader is to look to the future, to know where it is that he's trying to get people, and and to not look back. Uh, and ev- anybody who's a leader in any type of leadership position, 
if you're a teacher, if you're a school administrator, if you're a, a business owner, if you're an elder in a church, if you're a pastor, if you are a parent, right? We've experienced this. Uh, I have made a lot of unpopular decisions in our house, right? Why? Because we as parents know we're trying to get our kids to adulthood looking more and more like Jesus as we possibly can get them. So we have to make decisions that are unpopular. But, but it can't matter what people's opinion of us is and let that determine our decisions. As a leader in a church, I have an inbox in my email that will tell you how many unpopular decisions I've made with people. Um, but, but we as leadership in the church have a place that we are trying to move in obedience to Christ of where we're trying to get to as a church. And it's just going to be unpopular with people because they just can't fully see the picture. Moses. First of all, let me just say I'm not comparing myself to Moses at all. Uh, but, but if you read in the book of Exodus, Moses was given a, a, a command by God and an objective to get his people to the promised land. And the whole way there, people thought that he was doing a terrible job. But he pressed on. And he kept going because he, that was the only objective that he had. I need to get you here. Oh, but we want different food. Oh, but we're really tired of walking. Oh, but do we really have to do this? Uh, we think we should go back. Right? Let's go back. It's better that we were slaves Back in Egypt, and Moses said, you do what you want, but, but we're going this way because that's what God has called me to do. We know this. That, like I said, anybody in a leadership position knows that, that there are just going to be your days where your decisions are going to be unpopular with people, but for Jesus, people's opinion and their perception didn't drive him. The mission did. Proverbs 29.25 says that fear of man, and you could insert which many translations have, the opinions of others, lays a snare. But whoever trusts in the Lord will be safe. I'm grateful that I follow a, a Savior, a King, that cared only about one thing, and that was obedience to God, His glory, on mission to rescue us because if you'd have let other people's opinions sway him, nothing would have been accomplished. He also cared less about assumptions. They start their, their walk uh, through this path that m- people have no longer been walking on because of these men that live out there among the tombs. Nobody could pass by uh, out of fear. Nobody wanted to go there. Um, and, and so they come running out to Jesus, demon-possessed. And immediately, when they come to Jesus, what we see is the whole point, I believe, of Matthew telling us this narrative. And it is the, that they submit to the authority of Jesus. His power and His authority. They come running out. No one would go down that path 
legions of demons, chain breakers. Mark tells us that they would howl at night from the caves and people could hear them from all around. Terrifying. And they come running out. And like I said, the disciples were probably like, wow, that was the scariest, that storm is the scariest thing we've ever seen. And all of a sudden, they got thousands of demons rushing after them, embodied in these two men that are chain breakers, probably coming out screaming and yelling. And, and they get to Jesus and they bow. What do you want to do? What do you want here with us? Their words are, what do you have with us? But really what they're saying is, whoa, 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 whoa. We haven't done anything. We're not, we're not trying to pick a fight. Just leave us alone. We won't bother you. You don't bother us. Just go away. What have you to do with us? O Son of God. They recognize who He is. They know Him. Why? Because they know their fate and they are terrified of it. They know who Jesus is. Just His mere presence. What have you to do with us? O Son of God. Because they know what the arrival of Christ means. As you read through Scripture, you will find from Genesis 3 to the end of the book of Revelation uh, that all throughout the Bible, God has written the fate of Satan and his angels all throughout Scripture. Genesis 3, after sin uh, uh, takes place, the temptation of man, God comes to the serpent and He says, I just want you to know that your fate is going to be that the seed of the woman is going to crush your head. You're a dead man for what it is that you've done. And Satan has known from the beginning of time because he knows that, that he is under the authority of God. And he's under the authority of Jesus. And he fears that day when Christ returns and will crush his head one final time and take him down and all of his demons down into hell for all of eternity. Where they will not, it's not going to be like a cartoon where the devil's down there kind of ruling this kingdom. They're going to suffer and they're going to be in pain and they're going to perish. Just like anyone, scripture says, that, that doesn't follow Christ. Matthew 25, 41, Jesus says, On the final day of judgment, those that are not the followers of Jesus will be cast into the eternal fire that has been prepared for the devil and his angels. Satan knows what his fate is for all of eternity. He's living a miserable existence right now, trying to ruin our lives as well. He's angry about his fate. He's angry still about not having greater power than God. He's angry about being under the authority of God. And he knows his time is limited and he's spending that time focused on destruction. And so Revelation uh, tells us uh, that, uh, that in the end, uh, the devil and his angels, when the Son of God comes, will come with salvation and power and the kingdom of God and the authority of Christ and the devil and his angels will be conquered once and for all. All that to say. He knows his fate. So I say all that because when the, they come running out to Jesus and they say, what, what have you to do with us, Jesus, that you would, have you come to torment us before the time? In other words, have you come to tease us, to torture us? 
before the appointed time when we know that we are going to be destroyed forever. They know their fate. And they're terrified of it. They're like, now wait a minute. Wait a minute. What, what are you doing here? It's not time yet. We're not ready for the misery yet. Are you, are you here to just cause trouble? And they know exactly His power because Jesus doesn't say anything to them. They just begin to beg. We know, we know you're going to drive us out. We know that, that you've got that authority to do that. So could you just do us a favor and, oh, I don't know, drive us into those pigs over there? Just don't cast us into hell. We're willing to go into the lowest of the low, the filthiest of the filthy, not even human. Just send us over there. They submit to Him and they beg Him. They assume that if they would go into the pigs that they could just maybe live out their existence there. That they could just dwell inside of these animals because Jesus, you can't can't destroy us yet, right? The time is is not right. Right? Assumption. We didn't think that, that you quite had the power yet to destroy us. But Jesus shows them otherwise. Because assumptions mean nothing against the power and the truth and the authority of the Son of God. And this is the entire point of what Matthew is trying to get us to understand in the midst of this. See, because when Jesus got done preaching, people's response was, who is, who is this man that preaches with such authority? And then Jesus heals, and people say, who is this man that, that he, that's able to heal sickness? And then he calms the storm, and the disciples go, who is this guy that he's even got power over creation? Let the, the wind and the seas obey him. And then... We're now supposed to ask the question, who is this? That he has the power over evil spirits, the supernatural, and the unseen. It should blow the reader's minds of the power that Jesus has. 1 Peter 5.8 says, The devil prowls like a roaring lion seeking who he will devour. The good news is that if we've got Christ who goes before us, if we have Christ within us, and the power of Christ, the Holy Spirit dwelling within us, we have nothing to fear. Yes, we're on our guard. Be careful. Because the devil wants to destroy. Because he knows his fate and he wants you to join him. He's not thrilled about this eternity that he has for himself. So he's just going to make sure that he brings down as many people as possible. We don't need to be terrified about it because we've got King Jesus on our side. The one who speaks a word and demons flee. The one who touches and sickness flees. The one who speaks peace and storms calm. And so it should give us confidence that in this world that we live in, that we love to complain about how filthy it is and how, how God-forsaken it is, we don't have to live in fear. Are we wise? Yes. But we do not have to live in fear that it's going to conquer us because it cannot conquer the one who already has it conquered. When we're faced with tough circumstances, when pressure's on, when temptation rises up, when it feels like we're in darkness... 
and it's all around us, and the enemy is pressing in, we do not have to be weak because he's strong. Then, then we, we get to really kind of the conclusion of this, and, um, and this is really for me, this is where the heartbreak comes in in, in this text. Because um, what happens is, as I just said, he, he preaches, and people say, who is this guy? And, and then he heals the sick, and people say, who is this? Tell us more. We want to know more. He calms the sea. Who is this? They're in awe over him. And then he drives out demons that, that everybody knows that these guys are out there. They're terrified of them. They're chain breakers. They howl at the moon at night. Nobody is willing to go on that path anymore down to the shore. They go around the tombs because they don't want to be anywhere near these guys. And so everybody knows about them. And Jesus drives out the demons, something nobody else has ever been able to do. And the crowd comes running to be with Jesus. we got to see this guy because the herdsmen, they run back into town. You're not going to believe this. There's a guy down there and he came up and it says he told them everything that they had seen and about uh, the, the demon-possessed men. What else could they have talked about? Right? What was everything else? Probably, you're not going to believe if there's a rabbi, a Jewish teacher is out among the tombs, out among the herds of pigs. You guys wouldn't believe it. He's breaking all of the rules. And then he talked to uh, these men, and then he drives out demons, but he drove them into our pigs, and our pigs fell off into the ocean where the demons uh, were destined for destruction. And the crowd comes run out. Let's go see him. And they get out there, and what's their response? Get out of our city. We don't want you here. Nobody was asking the question, who is this man that has the power? Nobody, was, nobody celebrated. Nobody worshipped. Nobody bowed. They just ganged up on Jesus and said, you need to leave because you're ruining our way of life. That's what it's all about. We're angry. These herdsmen run back to the town. We're angry. That was our livelihood. We were watching the pigs. And they were probably watching the pigs for some of the, some of the owners of, of all of those pigs that lived in that city. So people are like, whoa, 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 whoa. What do you mean he drove demons into, into my pigs? Like my meal? My income? Um, the thing that, that keeps our community flowing, let's get rid of them. Jesus didn't care about possessions. It's not about what you own. It's about people. It's about my power. It's about knowing who I am. And that is more important following me than the lifestyle that you are trying to protect your comfort your wealth your resources i want to look back at this key moment in in this story that i i passed by and i want to jump back to it because i find it fascinating it's just one word that's found in verse 32 if if you have a, a bible that puts jesus words in red letters 
It's just right dead center in the middle of all of this. And it's just two letters. Go. Go. That's all Jesus said to them. And the demons flee. And they go into this herd of pigs. The demons obey. Listen, it's not magic. It wasn't even necessarily, don't get me wrong, but it wasn't even power in the Word. The reason that the demons left those men and went into that herd of pigs was because they are under the authority of Jesus Christ. They have to obey. There's no choice in the matter. When Jesus says go, creation goes. Whatever Jesus says, creation obeys. Even the evil spirits obeyed. It was the authority of Christ. And they submitted and they left. It's interesting uh, that, you know, the way that Matthew tells the story, if you go back to the story of the centurion, remember when he came to Jesus and he said, "Uh, one of my servants is really sick and so I need you to heal him. And Jesus said, okay, so where do you live? He said, no, 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 I'm not worthy for you to come into my house. But he says, but here's what I know. I too am a man of authority. And, and when I say go, my servants go. So all you have to do is just speak the word and I know uh, that my servant will be healed. And now here we are in this story. Fast forward a couple of chapters, not even chapters, just verses. And, and Jesus says to the demons, go. Why? Because even my servants obey when I say they're under my authority All of creation bows to our King. We're called to make disciples. That's our mission. What we're supposed to be focused on. To tell the world about Jesus. They are in desperate need of of letting go of this selfishness and the sin that encompasses us that so easily entangles. And that Jesus has given us freedom for that calls us to repentance, an acknowledgement of what He did on the cross and conquering the grave and give us abundant life. That's the message that we're called to go and tell to the world. And we're supposed to disciple, which means then we take people who are, who are on this journey of following Christ and we show them how to live. It's what the mission is. But it starts with obedience to one word. Go. What is it that holds us back from making disciples? Maybe, maybe we don't understand fully the authority that we are under. See, Jesus said to the disciples, before He said, go and make disciples, He said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to Me. So go and make disciples. It's, in other words, it's, you, you really don't get much of a choice in this. The only decision that you make is will you submit to my authority? And Jesus says, so go and make disciples. Whether we're called to our own family, to the darkest places of the world, places that people don't think we should go as Christians, we're called to go and make disciples. Well, ah, what are people going to think if they see me hanging out with them and talking to them or spending a lot of time with, with just one individual as I'm what? what Go. You're under the authority of Christ. 
Maybe we love our possessions too much. But following the call of Jesus is too important because we're called to go. Paul's call in Acts 26, I believe, is our call. Jesus said to him, I'm sending you to open the eyes of the people so they can turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God that they could receive forgiveness of sins and a place among the sanctified by faith in me. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go and make disciples. Listen, I'll just conclude with this. When Jesus says go, even the demons go. Go make disciples. What choice will you make? Let's pray. Father, this morning, uh, we thank you uh, for, for who it is that you've called us to be in your Son, Jesus Christ. Forgive us, God. Forgive me for so often wanting to be the authority in all of these matters when I know full well that, that my power is no power. Help us, Jesus, to submit uh, to your authority, to receive your power, to go in your power, to do what it is that you've called us to do We've seen it on display today. Your incredible work. The power that you have over creation. Reveal it to us. Help us to follow you well. Pray that you would just continue, Father, to, to use us in whatever way that you can as we are people that are for our city, for our world, that we could be living examples, light in the darkness. So help us to follow the call because you're worth it. Amen. Let's stand and worship.